You just dropped out a hot, hot take right there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try to remember what I said. You're a failure. And that's okay. Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Alicia. And, and we're, we're failures, failures too. too. We take a walk back through people's failures and relive the mistakes they made so we all can have more clarity on how to be a better human. In this episode, our guest worked her tail off to become a barrister, aka a lawyer, in the UK. Once she fell in love and moved to the US with her husband, she had to become a lawyer all over again to meet US criteria. Tamina Watson is the founder of Watson Immigration Law with expertise in business, investor, and family-based immigration. She's the author of The Startup Visa, Key to Job Growth and Economic Prosperity in America. Tamina is also a passionate advocate for immigration reform, the mother of two little girls, and is the founder and co-founder of more than one nonprofit foundation. During our conversation, we talk about working hard, really hard, toward a dream that Tamina thought she wanted and failed at. With her eye on the prize, she learned more about her values and her purpose along this journey. She eventually found her true career calling and passion. Welcome to the 2020 Perspective, Tamina Watson. Well, thank you again for having me. I appreciate it. So I think becoming a lawyer was the, the where it should start, you know, um, because I really wanted to be a lawyer just, you know, from whenever I have my, you know, memory, my, I, there were a lot of lawyers in the family and I was born and raised in London and in London, um, in the UK, you can be either a barrister or a solicitor. And the barrister is a trial attorney and the solicitor is the transactional attorney. And typically the word barrister is associated with a little bit more prestige and you're in the courtroom. And I just wanted to be that. But that's all I wanted to do growing up, be a barrister. And so eventually I did go to law school. Um, you know, challenge after challenge, got to law school. And once I got to law school, the biggest thing was that I needed to have an apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. Apprenticeship is the final step in actually getting a license to practice law, which is different uh, than the US. In the US, you go to law school, which is after, you know, undergraduate, you do a graduate degree, and then you take the bar exams, and then you've got a license to wave around and practice law, even if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> In the UK, they won't let you loose until you've had some training. And that's what's called a pupillage for a barrister or an article or training contract for those who are solicitors. And that pupillage is really difficult to get. Very, very competitive. Um, you know, if you go to Oxford and Cambridge, it's like the Ivy League schools, um, you know, you have a maybe a better chance. Uh, but I didn't go to one of those schools. I thought I had checked every box getting that apprenticeship you know you've got to get this experience that experience um i thought i did all of that tell me about like when you said you did all that i mean was there like a, an application that you said all right this is my application if they say yes i get to be a lawyer if they say no my future is is ruined really good question so when you are building your resume for that application you mentioned You've got to build that re resume so that you could be noticed mm -hmm. or invited for an interview. And so once you finish law school, 
and you are you can you are, you do take a bar exam too you just don't have the license so now you're applying for the apprenticeship called a pupillage and of course you want to be able to show your resume that's already built up right and so that's what i'm talking about checking the boxes where you know throughout u university undergraduate and then throughout um, law school i did a lot of pro bono work i did internships i thought i had experience to be able to show that I'm worth a shot, except to get there and find the competition is so fierce that, you know, I didn't get it the first year. So that was my, that was one of the biggest failures I can talk about. The fir first one that was heart, you know, soul crushing because, you know, without that apprenticeship, I can't be the barrister that I've dreamt of being all my life. So then I had to really sit down and think about what am I gonna do to stand out from the crowd? And a lot of my friends went into, you know, full-time work um, in different, you know, industries, whether they stayed in law or outside the law, thinking I just can't afford to do this anymore. I just took the long view thinking, I need to be a barrister. That's all I want to be. I want to be, I need to make my parents proud too. They've been wanting to see me as a barrister. I've got to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down, I thought, okay, I need to build on the experience I've created. And this is this is after you've been re been rejected. Is this is after the failure or is this leading up to the application? This is after the failure. So so I checked all the boxes to get to the failed point, realizing I haven't actually done enough. Um, even though I thought I had done a lot, I I worked at a summer school with children with disabilities. <gasps> I worked um, in um, what's called London Transport. I did an internship there. I did an internship at another law firm. And you know, I'm gathering experience as I go. Um, and I thought that experience is what would help me. Um, except it didn't, because that's when the realization kicked in about I'm competing with people that are so much better, it seems. And so what do I do to make myself stand out? I'm actually really interested in <laughs> in that, like the position, you, it sounds like you, you got the rejection and then you just swung right into action, like you were a machine. But was there like a spin up time for you to try to like figure out what you wanted to do and how to move forward from that initial rejection to all these different pursuits to try and kind of burnish up your, your application for round two. Mm -hmm. Totally. So I sat down and soul searched thinking I need to get experience. Where do I want to get it? And I realized women's issues are very important to me and children's issues are very important to me. Can we go back to your self-reflection? Because I'm very interested. How do you self-reflect? We talked to a lot of people on the show about you know, the, that moment when they get clarity on their next move. And a lot of it is sitting with self-reflection. But can you just tell us a little bit more about how you do that? You know, in my old age, I think I can actually tell you I sit down and maybe just jot notes and, you know, have I have, you know, brilliant ideas and I just act on it. You know, 20 years ago, I don't know if it was necessarily formal and I can remember that, but I do remember mm -hmm. feeling very disheartened and thinking, gosh, I thought I did so much, but I haven't done enough. Mm -hmm. And that's when I thought, how do I do more and enjoy it? Mm. How do I do more and learn from things I care about? Mm -hmm. And that's when I, you know, when I had the mental realization, I didn't write anything down from recollection. The women and the children's issue were always important to me. 
And so I Googled um, whatever the method was 20 years ago, um, <laughs> and I found an organization that helps women. Uh, it was called Legal Rights, um, I think, Legal Rights of Women or Rights of Women. And they had a program where they would take students law students particularly and they would put them in slots so every day of the week would have two or three slots and a lot of students would just build up their resume by just going to one mm -hmm. slot mm -hmm. for me it was more like i really wanted to learn i didn't want to just put something on my resume i thought i did a little bit more than just do that but obviously that didn't work mm -hmm. i needed to learn the actual skill. So I, I basically went and said, I want to be here for two, two slots a day and two days. And then I thought, how am I going to help these children? Where do I go for that? And then I found an organization called Disability Rights um, uh, Law Center. And they help people with all disabilities and they help with different areas of law. So consumer law, education law, um, taught, uh, I, I forget, a number of areas, but if you are somebody with disabilities and there's no ramp to go up somewhere, and 20 years ago there, was, there weren't a lot of ramps, mm -hmm. um, you'd go to that law center and they'd help you. And so for them also, I said, I want two slots a day, please, thank you very much, and two days. I really wanted them to know me and I wanted to know what the work was. So even though I was sitting outside at the desk answering the phone, I would learn and listen to what they were saying and observing. So you can, you know, I tell all the interns that come to me where they're just filing, I'm like, you would be surprised at how much you can learn just by paper shifting. Mm -hmm. You'll learn the dates, how it's formatted, you know, what is written in it, you're learning the terms. People underestimate how much you learn just by doing something like that when you have no other skill. So let let me let me recap and make sure I've got everything kind of like put together here. So you you had a dream to to become a bar barrister. You tried to get your 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 next next stage, get the get in, get into the program, get your apprenticeship. You were rejected. And you said, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to get some experience. I'm going to follow something that I'm passionate about. But I'm not going to follow it like everyone else. I'm going to do it like four times as much." <laughs> And in doing so, you start having, you start learning a lot more and, you know, you're, you're learning a lot about the field and, and, and the interests. So how is that helping you also understand your drive to reach that barrister level? Like, are you feeling like these conversations are getting you closer to that? Or do you feel like your, your vision is dimmed because now you have this new thing you're working on? Or, I mean, how did it reflect on your ultimate goal? really good question because their story gets really good so I <laughs> I sit there answering the call and then I realize they need to know I want to do more how do I tell them that so I actually start, started going out to lunch with them I'm like if they're going out to lunch I'm just going to follow them around they just need to know I want to do this <laughs> so you know doing some of the lunch conversations I'm like you know if you need to send somebody to court send me so there was one client um, she had an African background and I believe she had a child I didn't know much about her but all I knew was just sitting at the reception desk with the phone and sort of just seeing people come and go is that she'd come in she'd go to the office would talk to the lawyer and there'd be a yelling match and then the lawyer would come back and say oh you know and she'd talk about what that fight was about or that yelling match was about so I just know this woman from like there was always confrontation going on with whatever her issue was. So after that lunch, when I came back, and then a few days later, when this lawyer came and said, Tamina, I have the perfect case for you. 
And I said, oh, yes, this case, wonderful. She goes, well, it's good news and bad news. I said, okay, well, the good news is you're going to court. The bad news is that client. <laughs> She's going to eat me up alive. <laughs> and so um, we, they gave me a lot of training on what to do and said why uh, this court hearing is happening. And I went to it. And it turns out that she was yelling all the time because she didn't think she was being heard. But she was so upset she wasn't hearing anything either. And so when we went to the courtroom, she started to do that with me. And I repeated everything she said several times. And once she knew that I, I was hearing her, then she calmed down and let me talk. So when we came to this um, arbitration or this court hearing, it was really about her son who was severely disabled in a wheelchair needing a ramp. And they didn't, put, they, they didn't give her child the school that she wanted. So from recollection in that discussion and that court hearing, we basically walked out with a negotiation where everybody was going to calmly deal with finding a good solution for her. So she was actually happy at the end of the day. And so when I came back to the, the law center, everybody was actually standing at the door waiting for me to see if I actually survived. Um, and I, I came back with, you know, I basically got points. But one of the things they told me over and over again, they said, don't worry about it. You're not going to lose this case. No matter what you do, you're not going to lose this case. So be, no, go there knowing you're okay. You're not going to fail anyone. But I came back from that case actually making sure that everybody quote unquote won. Nobody mm -hmm. failed, nobody cried, nobody fought, and they, there was a resolution or a path to a resolution. So that experience really just put me into the situation where I thought, oh, I could help parents who need legal assistance with education. I just wanted to recap just to kind of like put, put the mental timeline in, in, in my head and the listener's head. So, you know, you, you had a dream, you applied, you got rejected, you did a whole bunch of experiences to up to cranked it up past 11 to to get those experience and it showed you some new opportunities um in ways of, of really working with a with an audience and a, and a group of people that you were really passionate about i want to hear a lot about your your development process throughout this because you know, we we you know there's definitely all the good work you do like there's there's plenty of outlets to hear how you're you're changing lives but like how are you grappling with these things and how are they affecting you and how is it helping you kind of move past the initial failure to I'm going to assume your inevitable success um yes i finally got my pupillage but you know what's ironic about life is you've got to go with the flow all my life i wanted to be a barrister and as i you know, did all of these experiences and eventually secure a pupillage, which was going to start the following year. In between, I came to the US for a holiday and fell in love with this American. And when I did that, you know, I was having a long distance relationship and eventually, you know, marriage was on the cards. And now being a barrister, everything that I wanted to do didn't matter as much in the sense that I found the love of my life and I'll follow him wherever he is. So that led me to America, where I suddenly was like, oh my gosh, how do I become a lawyer again? So I had to sort of really go back to, you know, the beginning of thinking, how am I going to be a lawyer? Um, I'm so sorry, I'm just gonna stop this for a second because emails are coming in and they're making a noise. Mm. And so uh, I, met, I met my husband in 2002. Um, that's the year I was gonna start my pupillage, which is for a year. 
And then uh, 2003, I finished my pupillage. 2003 to four, I was just traveling back and forth, you know, to America and London. And 2005, I got married and moved here. And so suddenly I'm thinking, gosh, how do I practice law? Do I want to practice law, you know, in the US? Of course, I'm going to practice law. I want to be a lawyer. But then the problem became, how do I become one without going to law school? Because the system is so different in this country. And everywhere oh, I gosh. call, you know, I live in Washington state, you know, and I had a, a um, Commonwealth law degree and I could take the New York bar, but I couldn't take the Washington bar. But I'm living here, I explored everything I could to take the Washington bar. And every time I'd call anybody who would have knowledge, they'd say, go to law school. And I'm like, I'm done with school. Mm -hmm. I've done too much schooling. After all this time, you worked so hard to get all that experience. And then it doesn't even mean anything when you get here. That is infuriating. How did you feel? At that time, it was rather disempowering. Mm -hmm. Except, you know, 20 years later, it's I'm so proud of all of that work I did. Mm -hmm. Because it really set the foundation of who I am without even knowing who I fully was at the time. Um, yeah. And, you know, I reflect on it now. That's why I'm like, where are these photos of me doing this stuff? And, I, <laughs> you know, is this before your phone could take pictures? And I had like, you know, hard copies of photos. Anyway, I took the New York bar uh, reluctantly because I, I realized I got to take something. And um, immigration law kept following me. And of all the areas of law, this was the one thing I didn't want to do. I just didn't want to do it. I'd seen immigration law in the family with other people doing it, and I just thought it was going to be asylum. But it, eventually, you know, not getting the jobs that I thought I wanted or applied for, um, the immigration one landed on my lap uh, for the third time, a different th a job. Each time it was a different immigration job. And a third time I thought, you know, I'll just do this. I'll just succumb and do this for five years and then wave into Washington. <laughs> and what's interesting is... The moment I said yes, and the day after I started practicing, I thought, oh, the universe wanted me to do this, and I was fighting it. Until mm -hmm. you accept what the universe wants you to do, it's going to keep following you. How did you know that? How did you like come to that realization? Because I loved it. It was so much more than what I thought it was going to be. Immigration, in my mind, up until that moment, was going to immigration court, doing asylum day in, day out, having my heart ripped out of my body every time, you know, just really. Um, and I'm just, you know, I'm an empathetic, uh, empathetic person. I can't not relate and feel compassionate for the people I'm helping. And I, I just didn't want to do that every day. But what happened with immigration law is that I realized I can help CEOs of companies. I can help really talented, genius people every day. I can help family members, um, loved ones unite. The law is very complicated, as you and your listeners may know. Um, but it's, it's, it's challenging and rewarding all at once. And you can see the beginning to the end of a case and see the impact you're making on somebody's mm. life. So the very first day of practicing law, I realized it's so much more than what I thought it was. And my background of, of living in the UK, living in an immigrant household in the UK, even though I didn't, I'm not an immigrant in the UK, uh, my parents were, but I lived in Bangladesh too. I've got that cultural background and I can speak, um, you know, the languages or oh, couple. And, you know, when you're doing this work with people from all around the world, they want to connect with you. You want to connect with them. And I was natural at it. 
you know so here the law is what it, you know more than what i thought it was going to be you know intellectually stimulating mm -hmm. impactful while helping people that really need help mm -hmm. and making a difference in their lives and so that's how it came to be that immigration is my calling and i haven't looked back since you know it's been uh 2006 to now you do the math i can't do math very well but it's been a long <laughs> time and i would not look back and along the pathway of this journey there have been failures many times how do you run a law firm nobody mm -hmm. teaches you how to run a law firm you know anybody who goes to law school is idealistic about the law or most people at least you're going into it because you want to help people you don't necessarily think of immigration as a as a business and when you're running your own business and you guys probably are talking to people every day there are challenges how do you manage people how do you manage employees how do you manage the tax man how right. do you how do you manage all of those your hr pr your admin you're the lawyer you're everything how do you learn those skills and that mm -hmm. you know the failures come in those as well you know when the irs you know is writing another letter and like i thought i did that tax properly where's my bookkeeper or <laughs> you know in immigration if you just check a box wrong boy you don't want to do that have you have you checked a box wrong before um, I admit I've checked a box wrong in my early days. I had fixed it. It's not easy to fix. But sometimes you could be accused of doing something wrong when you haven't. Because mm -hmm. the when you're dealing with an immigration service, I give you an example. Um, there is a visa called an H-1B visa. Mm -hmm. The H-1B visa is a once a year application. If you get, and it's like a lottery, it's a lottery, literally a lottery. They pull your name out of a hat or a database and they pull, <laughs> once they pull your name out of the hat uh that's it you've now are filing your case and after that they approve or deny your case but pulling out of the hat is just you've won the lottery it's one in three chance or one in one in five chances of getting it in fact it's just become worse because they changed some of the systems but in that and i work with a lot of startups startup founders uh, entrepreneurs mm -hmm. um, and this particular one was a case in which the founder um, was getting an h1b but in that situation you're an employee of the company and you cannot be seen to be the employer either oh, so interesting so the check for the company was signed by this client and i had not noticed he signed it um, we had been so careful about every preparation. Now the partner signed the papers and helped draft the papers. He, he didn't have that much a role in it. But when he started the company, I went to the bank account, to, you know, open a bank account. He was the signatory. Right. No, you know, you're starting a company. And so we're, we're, while we really pay attention to the type of check, you know, is it a company check or a personal check? We noticed that and we checked our box as a company check. We did not pay attention to who signed it. But even if we did, I don't know if the situation would have changed, but we filed it. We got lucky in the lottery. We were over the moon. Actually, we didn't get lucky. We didn't know that. I was going to a conference where I was going to speak about failure, actually, <laughs> what to do with denied cases. And I get this letter saying your case was picked, but not it's been rejected now. And in, the first thing most lawyers, at least I do, is what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. You know, you can't help but think that way. And so I had to examine the entire paper and see the government rejected it because he signed the check saying you paid the check. And we had to then think about 
no, but he's the only signatory to this corporate bank account. I couldn't have changed it. They should not be um, rejecting the case because it's not a personal check. Mm -hmm. So I had to then sit down and think, okay, I don't have time to really worry about this quite yet. I mean, I do worry, but I'm going to a conference where I'm going to speak about denied cases. So I shifted <laughs> my mindset to like, okay, I've got to talk about failure. And so I did my speech and my presentation, but I managed to speak to somebody there uh, who came from the from the government and said, this is wrong. This is blatantly wrong. So I had to really pursue that and fight for my client because it wasn't something I did wrong. It wasn't something that the client did wrong, but it was perceived to be wrong. Mm -hmm. It was perceived as a failure. And in, for all intents and purposes, it was a failure because now we have to fight to fix it. Right. And it took about nine months and dogged determination because normally if you have uh, been selected in the lottery and then rejected, you cannot fix it. They're going to make you the, go the next year. And so I really, really, and you know, I didn't charge my client any money for this nine months of work I did to fight for this, uh, to get it selected. And once it was won, I tell you that was one of the most rewarding experiences because nobody has able to been able to get a rejected case back in the pool again. And wow. so rejection can come in so many different forms, uh, whether it's your personal life or the cases, whether it's your you caused it or not. What actually happens is what is the solution? How are you mm -hmm. going to find the solution? Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I have to, and I have trained myself because I both Alicia as a coach and you mentoring people, you know, if people don't have a solution oriented mindset, your first thing is about panic and paralysis. Mm -hmm. And so then you can't move forward. Mm -hmm. And so it takes a lot of internal training to get that skill because I've been there where I've been so scared. I can't even look at the thing anymore. You know, I've just can't, I can't, I can't touch it. I don't even know how to fix it. But if you could sit on that, knowing that it's not you, and even if it were you, you still have to find a solution. And so finding that solution is very important. So I mean, recent example is we filed a case for somebody and now we're filing it for their um, spouse. And when we filed the spouse's application, we realized her initial green card was issued incorrectly. And that's not something that was caused by her. It was a system that didn't recognize what her category was. Mm -hmm. But if I had told them that they have an invalid green card, they would have been freaked out. Yeah. Their entire life in the U.S. would fall apart. Like, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. So what's really important to me is once I've identified a problem for somebody, whether it's their failure, my failure, system failure, there's a failure involved. You've got to figure out what that solution is. And often you've got to do it on your own, just soul searching, depending mm -hmm. on what the failure is, or you collaborate with others to find the solution. And what I've realized is once I've got the solution, then I can go and tell the person who's going to be affected by it. This is the problem. Do not freak out. Here is the solution. Mm -hmm. I've got you, you know, mm -hmm. and, it, and that brings the comfort that they need knowing that somebody's got their back. Yeah. So that's I find I find what you do in the legal profession to have a, a perspective around failure that is similar to what we hear when we talk to people in athletic fields and doing and doing sports, because at the end of the game, you win or lose At the end of the case, you've won or lost. But 
you know, you, there's got to be a move forward and, and find that next solution. And I'm almost curious, how do you maintain that resiliency to continue pursuing for a solution? <laughs> like something bad happened or the case wasn't won or something was wrong. How do you continually day in, day out, pick yourself up and say, there's going to be a solution down the road. I just need to keep working at it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you won't have a solution. And um, what I say to my clients once we've got to the end of the, first of all, you've got to try to find the end of the road. Don't give up. So keep going and going and going until you realize that is the end of the road. And when it is the end of the road, don't sugarcoat it for the client. Because for immigration law particularly, they've got to make life-changing decisions. Do they stay in the U.S.? Do they not stay in the U.S.? They've been here for 10 years. Where do they go? Do they go back home? Do they go to another country? There's a lot of planning and emotional turmoil that goes with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so you've got to get to the end of the road and tell them so. Um, but then sometimes, such as immigration reform, the end of the road is not when Congress says it's the end of the road. End of the road is when we stop fighting. Therefore, mm. we do not stop fighting. And so the last four years, depending on what side of the fence you're on, uh, was a tumultuous year for immigration lawyers. Um, those four years were um, difficult on a personal level for immigration lawyers because um, our practices were affected, but more importantly, our clients were affected, our communities were affected, the rule of law was affected. And in those situations, it's, it's, while it's not a failure of any individual, it's a failure of a system. Mm -hmm. And in that situation, you have to continue to move forward and fight. You've mm -hmm. got to, if you, one of the things that I had to keep telling some of my friends, and I eventually had to tone myself down on it, um, the problem was coming at us. And if you, the lawyer who is being looked upon as the leader, the savior of that moment is also paralyzed and sort of taking a step back saying, I can't do anything. Who's going to help the vulnerable mm -hmm. immigrant? You mm -hmm. have to be that voice. You have to be the person that's going to continue to fight for them. Mm -hmm. And that, um, comes with determination and there is a limit to what people can do some people fought a little bit initially and then said okay i'm just gonna do what i can by helping these clients of mine mm -hmm. and some people like me kept moving and moving and moving saying okay what other policy i bring it on i'm gonna fight you mm -hmm. uh, not that we really wanted to bring it on but you know we had to keep <laughs> fighting and that was a four-year fight which you know actually i keep a book of mine in front of me called legal heroes in the Trump era, just describing mine and so, some other lawyers who kept fighting for the rule of law to protect it and protect immigrants. And not just immigrants, the book covers climate change and it covers, um, you know, the protests that happened in the summer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what was very important to note is that the last four years demonstrated that lawyers are imperative in a society. Mm -hmm. Because if you have those bad actors who are trying to bring the system down and um, project failure, you've got to um, step up and show, no, this is, this is not it. And so I think, you know, failure is part of life. It's how you deal with it. And I will say over the last four years, one of the things about how do you keep up your resilience, um, I, you know, self-care became a very important thing to me over the last four years. 
I think before that, she's like, I'm a superwoman. I can keep doing things. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Except to find that I'm yelling at everybody and stressing out about the littlest thing. And knowing that I can still do everything, trying to do everything, and then not having enough time for any of those things, let alone me. But I realize that if I can give myself the time, I can make the time for others. Mm-hmm. And uh, meditation became an important part of my life uh, soon after the previous administration got into office. Except, interestingly enough, failure, again, comes in so many different ways. Failing to operate as a human being is failure <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> you know, uh, how do you even wreck it? How do you accept that you are a failed human being. You know, it takes a lot to understand that there are things inside you that could be improved. Mm-hmm. And that takes a lot of soul searching and recognition and sort of, I guess, um, guts to say, yes, you know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not the best at this, that and the other, and I have room to improve. I wanna go back to something that you said earlier about your pivot or your acceptance going to go into immigration law when the universe was clearly, you know, putting this in front of you. Can you talk more about that? Like when is that, what is that moment of recognition when you should take action, maybe in a way that you are, you've been resistant to, like you, you know, you just use an example of self-care being really important. I'm sure that came from maybe being, completely depleted and say, okay, I have to do something differently. So what are those points of recognition when the universe is telling you, you know, shift and, and how do you know in your, yourself, like in your body, in your mind that it's time to, I hate to say pivot because everyone's saying pivot, but when to change direction and do something different, take a different action. When it comes to the immigration job, uh, and I'm going to answer this in a broad way in a moment, but for that particular immigration job, um, when I got the, the offer third time, uh, there was one which was for a nonprofit, and I knew I didn't really want to go into nonprofit. Another one was, I forget where, but it was immigration. And the third time round, it was in private practice. And I wanted to be in private practice. I just didn't want to do immigration. And I didn't want to be necessarily in a small law firm. But when all roads were leading to immigration and this at the time seemed like the best fit for me as a stepping stone, it felt like the right thing to try. Not necessarily to say yes forever, but say, hey, let's see how it goes. And I'm so glad I did. I mean, many negative things happened thereafter, Mm -hmm. but what's important to know is negative things will happen. How do you, what do you take from it? And so I had a crash course in how not to practice law (laughs) in that situation. Um, And it taught me about what my values are. You know, you often don't recognize or identify your values until you're in a moment where you have to contend very difficult issues. Do you go this way or that way? And that's when you recognize, well, you know, that doesn't go with my values. I'll just do this. And the Mm. word values, I think, is also overused. It's probably one of the, you know, limited times in which I've used it. But I think it's important for people to recognize who they are, but you don't recognize who you are until you're challenged. Um, But on a broader level, um, how do you recognize that the universe has a calling for you? I think the same message will keep coming and showing itself somehow whether it for me it was immigration law for others it could be something else but it will come and you know it will keep coming at you 
And you, the more you resist uh, and you go in a different path, you will likely not succeed because your head might have said, yes, do that because you're supposed to be doing that. But your heart is saying something else. And I think the heart, you know, I mean, the heart and the, the mind sometimes don't always align. But when they do, I think that's when the magic happens. Mm -hmm. So if you were to go back to the previous Tamina, who, when they got the first immigration job offer, what do you think changed or what do you think you would tell that past you of, hey, you should actually do this. This is going to allow you to live your values more fully and more deeply. Like, how would you even even convince yourself back then that the thing that you didn't want to do is actually the thing you want to do? You know, if I had to talk to myself then, I would have said to myself that go on this journey and see where it leads because it's going to lead to where you need to be and where you want to be. You just don't know it yet. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you have to take that leap of faith and yeah. know that um, things will eventually you know, work out. And what's interesting is I use the analogy of the movie Sliding Doors. Have you seen that movie with Gwyneth Paltrow? Mm -hmm. uh, it's worth a watch, especially for you too. Uh, it's, um, it's a very old movie, maybe 25 years old, or I don't know, I'm just showing my age. But it's, <laughs> it's about somebody who gets on the tube, the subway in the UK, what happens to their lives when they're when they jump into the tube before the doors close the sliding doors and when they don't get on the tube and so what happens and what's interesting is that your life is eventually going to get to that destiny it's just what path are you taking mm. and you could get there kicking and screaming or you could just get there it's you're going to get there and so for me in that for that previous to me and I would have said you want to be of value to people you want to make an impact in the world you know you want to practice law and make a difference all of these things will happen if you just take this path but I think one of the things that people should know is if you have a set idea it doesn't matter what people say you're not going to listen to them you have to come <laughs> you have to come to that realization on your own and if you don't do something happily I don't know if you're going to really project the best you. Mm. Yep. You know, the best you is what you need to bring to the table every time. So she she got this she she applied to get the apprenticeship. Critical thing that she needed to get her her, her next step very similar to um chip mm -hmm. so same same kind of setup as chip chip had to get his um special ed certification he failed and so he went back and he plugged and plugged and plugged and then tried again and then failed and plugged and plugged and, and so she she failed and plugged and plugged and in doing so discovered a whole new set of values new set of interests in realizing that she could do what she wanted to do and this is something that she's passionate about. Yeah. And then, you know, the you know the end of the story could be, and then she got her apprenticeship and happy ever after. But I think that's where the story I really agree. starts. That's where the story started. She finally got the the credential, the the position that she needed to do what she's been dreaming to do her whole life, and then she fell in love, and traveled. <laughs> Back and forth to U.S. and then inevitably moved to the U.S. and had to build a new legal career 
in a new world with new rules, new systems, and find a way to engage in the thing that she was passionate about. And she rejected the immigration piece. She said, that's not what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about other stuff. I love that <laughs> that love was the kind of like the catalyst of this story to make her like, maybe not the catalyst, but like the the game changer of this because she clearly worked so hard. She had this goal, this vision for herself and everything mm-hmm. that she had been working for until she happened to fall in love was like, you know, completely... <laughs> thrown out the window and what became the priority was her relationship with another person which I think just the whole that whole concept speaks so much to how human we are and in Mm. in talent development we stress and we stress and we stress individual development plans we call them IDPs writing down your goals setting your goals this and this and that and it's very solo. It's, it's very, individual. very individual. And here's the thing. It's it, we're coming out of being in lockdown for a, a year and a half. Those goals, they don't matter anymore because people <laughs> don't tell my boss. People have been trying to survive and and live and they're rethinking their priorities. Yes, you have to get certain like goals of work done so we can make money, but their personal development goals are changing, are shifting. They're not as important or they're different than they were before. So I like how because she had worked so hard and what she thought she wanted and she was sticking so firm to was the thing that really wasn't going to help her soar in the end. It wasn't her mm-hmm. using her strengths. I felt a lot of what um, she was saying for myself, you know, cause like Dan knows because you're my accountability partner and I talk to you all the time about this, mm-hmm. but I think that the universe is really pushing me to pay attention to maybe not what my ego is saying is like the job that the job title that I think is going to like make me a lot of money or it's going to be, mm-hmm. it's going to be the job title that rewards or recognizes all my hard work or my accomplishments or me like going to get my master's, all that. It's really like what I really want to do. That's going to make me feel good every day. And Um, Mm -hmm. like we talked about with Dr. Taryn Marie, sometimes the thing that we're scared of is the one thing that we actually need to do. Well, with Tamina's story, you know, when she was in the U.S. and she was pursuing her legal options of of how she could move her career forward and and engage in the things that are meaningful to her, it didn't sound like she was scared of immigration. It's almost like she was like standoffish from it. She's like, oh, it's this thing. Yeah, not not her interests. Wasn't she was not interested. Yeah, that adds just another layer of complexity here with her story, and also I think how people grapple with failure and the decisions that they have to make that could lead them to failures. You might look at something easily and either be scared of it, be disinterested in it, to not really see much value behind it. But I think what I'm pulling from it is that every choice has tunnels and tunnels underneath it, has labyrinths, and if you're brave enough to step beyond the threshold, then the doors start to appear and options start to show up. I mean, even how she failed her her first exam, she ended up doing this thing that really motivated her and and gave her passion, gave her purpose. 
she wouldn't have picked, let me fail at my exam and find a way to fill the time. No right. way. But the doors started to appear once she started walking down that, yeah. that road. Yeah. Maybe the lesson here for me, for all of us, is to be open to, you know, I think we recapped this from another episode, is to be open to what the universe is bringing you, to these doors that, that are showing up that you might be resistant mm-hmm. to, but are, are showing for a reason and walk through the door and see, you know, take a risk and see what is on the other side of this that I'm meant to, to see, to understand, to be immersed in. Thanks to No BS Brass Band for the banging show music. Check them out at nobsbrass.com. And if you want to join any of our live shows, follow us on Facebook at the 2020 Perspective. That's 20 slash 20 Perspective. As always, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you can get the latest failures delivered right to your ears. And may your failures be spectacular.